Carrie. <laughs> I'm sorry I spilled a 64 ounce wild cherry Pepsi. <laughs> All over the studio floor. You know, that's why most studios say you can't have food and drink in there. It smells like <laughs> soda in here now. Yes, it does. It smells like cherry soda specifically. Yum. <laughs> why are you in bare feet? I know. I, I it don't is know. sticky down here now. <laughs> How can you possibly be in bare feet? Sticky and wet makes mommy upset. Stop. <laughs> You know, this won't go any faster if we continue to stall. See, I was so excited to talk about this now, but now I'm just dreading it. Because you spilled your cherry yeah, Pepsi? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was an omen. A bad omen. It was omen. an omen that I'm going to get enraged talking about this movie, which I love. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where we are in rare form today. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week, we are talking about the 2013, <laughs> what did we say we were going to call it? Tragicomedy. Tragicomedy, <laughs> yeah. We are talking about the 2013 tragicomedy, August Osage County. Guys, I love this movie. It also makes me very mad. I just <laughs> love the way this movie Makes me feel. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> you and me always. I know. Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our little watch party. Guys, please, share us with your friends, your family, someone who's not going to be upset at how loud mouth and piss poor we are. <laughs> and if you are super fans of ours, don't forget you can go check us out on Patreon, where we are giving you access for $5 a month to all of our bonus content. Become a little onion at the five, guys. At the $5 tier, you get access to all of our bonus episodes, our outtakes, and we're doing long-form stuff, some stuff outside the timeline. It's gonna be good. Oh, we're coming up on a long-form project, aren't we? Yes, we are. Oh, I was annoying about it, and I pushed it through, and it's gonna happen. It's gonna be a very busy summer. Oh, HBO fans, look out <laughs> for Patreon in July. All right, we got to get this started or the end will not get here soon enough. We're going to be here. We're <laughs> yeah. going to be here for a second. And I love you for that. Yeah. Life is very long. T.S. Eliot. Not the first person to say it. Certainly not the first person to think it. Absolutely goddamn right. Ready for this? No. No way. Hey, Mom, I'm here. Oh, Mom, you're so big. Look at your boobs. Last time I saw you, you looked like a little boy. God damn your father for putting me through this. Do you remember your Aunt Karen? Well, that must be this year's man. Soon you'll be gone, never to return. Don't start with that. Father, you broke his heart when you moved away. That is wildly unfair. You were Beverly's favorite, you know that. I prefer to think my parents loved their children equally. I'm sure you prefer to think that Santa Claus brought you presents, too. I missed Uncle Beth's funeral. That doesn't mean anything compared to what you have in your heart. Belle, 
Where are you living now? I beg your pardon? You and Barb are separated, right? Or are you divorced already? Is there a younger woman involved? You've said enough on this topic. Yes. Well, see, odds are against you there, babe. That's pleasant. My day, family stayed together. I'm a man on fire, walking through your street with one guitar and two dancing feet. You're supposed to be smoking? Is anybody supposed to smoke? What are you doing? Do I smell what I think I smell? Be a father. Help me. Our kid is trying to deal with this madhouse you've dragged her into. This madhouse is my home. Yeah, think about that statement for a second. <laughs> Marriage is hard. That's one thing about mom and dad. You gotta tip your hat to anybody who could stay married that long. Karen killed himself. <laughs> Thank God we can't tell the future. We'd never get out of it. This month we are we are deconstructing uh, family matters in our coverage. This month, obviously, in Spy Kids, we examined uh, you know the secretive family. Yeah, uh, we also deal with that this week, don't we? Yeah, we sure do. Uh, last week in uh, Little Miss Sunshine, we were talking about uh, a dysfunctional family, lots of things in the way. We, uh, you know, what we are also talking about that this week. <laughs> Yeah, but you said this movie is like a whole nother level. This week, we shall examine the dehumanized family. These are real waspy people. All of their problems are in the air for everyone to see, but we're just going to sweep them under the rug. Oh, gross. There are a lot of things that can lead to the dehumanization of a family, whether it's sexual abuse, suicide, drug addiction. These are things that really destroy relationships between people. And this week, we're going to examine a family. Uh, the Westons, who uh, just um, have way too many fucking problems. Which brings me to my trigger warning. Guys, before we get started, just know there is going to be talk of suicide in this movie, lots about substance abuse, and family dysfunction on a monolithic scale. And the thing about this family that makes it so dehumanized is that the, the problems of this family are being constantly broadcast before one another when they get together. But nothing is ever addressed or talked about. Because they're so desensitized to one another's love, if there's any, that it's just normal for them. Yeah, like, it's it's almost like they're in a weird zoo, right? Where they are both the exhibits and the uh, zoo-goers. Exactly. It's so weird and exactly. toxic. So, August Osage County itself started out as a play written in 2007 by Tracy Letts. He also writes the screenplay today. Um, John Wells directs today. I think he's also directed a few stage productions of this show. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that they brought the stage people in to do the film. Let's get this out of the way real quick here. It's a Weinstein film. Yeah, it sure is. You know what sucks, though? What? I love me some Weinstein films. I know. That's the thing. Just because his friggin' name is on it doesn't mean they're without value. But it doesn't mean that we cannot talk about the horrible shit that happened. We've obviously talked about Harvey Weinstein on the show before. How could we not have? Yeah. You know what I mean? And he uh, plays um, a pretty uh, horrible role in this one as well, as he does in everything he does. Mm. Um, but uh, we'll talk more about that in a minute. The play first opened in Chicago at the Steppenwolf Theater in 2007. They took it to Broadway. Ooh. We have actually seen someone perform who was in the OBC for August Osage County. In 2007, we went to Chicago to see Wicked. Oh, wow. Madame Morrible, the character of Madame Morrible, was played by an actress named Rondi Reed. 
and Rondi Reed played the original Maddie Faye in August Osage County. That's right. I saw that when you showed me the clip of the OBC uh-huh. and I saw that woman sitting next to the woman playing Violet, I'm like, wow, I know her from something. Mm-hmm. I remember going to see this by myself. What? In the theater. Just as a- You were at school and mom and dad were in Michigan when this came out. It was like, yeah, it was like Christmas time. And they were in Michigan for New Year's Eve and you were not, I don't know where you were. You were off doing something else. And so I was all by myself. I was like, I'll go see a movie. Aww. And how very Don Draper of you. <laughs> I picked August Osage County and one of the only lone theater experiences I've ever had. I didn't have anyone to turn to and go, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, so it was all happening right here. <laughs> you had to process it by yourself. All by myself in my own head. And I really, really loved it. And I've loved it ever since I saw it that first time. I would imagine that the response was as divisive as it was, because basically... How you how you enjoy this movie is really dependent upon the level of dysfunction in your own family. Yeah, it's what you can relate to. And, you know, while we both have some dysfunction in our own family, it's nothing on this scale. Oh, no, 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 no. We can't compare. We're going to be doing a lot of nervous laughing this week. Because we are also wasps. Yeah. Or we grew up waspy. <laughs> so, like, we're, we're laughing... We're laughing because we kind of relate to it in the sense, the machinations of how trauma gets buried within a family and not dealt with. But at the same time, we both know this is not that funny. No, like, like, yeah. When it gets down to brass tacks, it's not that funny. And when you watch the stage show, it's it's billed as a black comedy. And if you watch footage from the OBC on YouTube, like the way the audience just finds all of it funny. Oh, and yeah. Either because they're all nervous or because they can relate very strongly to these characters in some way. Oh boy. And like it it's if you were to watch the show today, you you'd come out of there laughing your head off probably. Uh-huh. But this movie is like a very serious examination of this narrative. I mean, there are parts of it that are a little funny, but like I just love how I just love the contrast between the staged production and this film production. Mm-hmm. And you know what what a production we've got, you know. <laughs> oh it, boy. It made almost 50 million dollars. That takes me into uh we've got names. <laughs> Guys, we've got a lot of returning folks this week. And you know what? I'm happy about it. I, uh, I'm happy about it. Uh, guys, <sighs> cue the Judy Garland theme. <laughs> Here she is. The one. The only. The incomparable. Meryl. Guys, Meryl Streep is back with us this week playing Violet Weston. She was with us before when we did The Iron Lady. She mm-hmm. was with us when we did... She was, of course, with us when we did The Devil Wears Prada. Guys... <laughs> Sophie's Choice, Kramer versus Kramer. Like we we've we've done her resume. We've done her resume before. You guys, you know, if you don't know the Merrill, look up the Merrill. <laughs> Probably the greatest living actress of our time. Probably the most privileged living actress of our time. Yeah. And she should know that a little bit more, I think. Yeah. Please welcome to Kicking and Streaming. We have Mr. Sam Shepard here with us today. Have you ever seen another movie with Sam Shepard in it? I couldn't tell you, sweetheart. She uh, he was uh he was not married to, but dating Jessica Lang for like 30 years. Oh, so he's a man of good taste. Uh-huh. We, we, we can say that at least, right? I don't know a lot of his other works. Uh, let's see. Oh, I mean, th- there's The Right Stuff from 1983. He was Chuck Yeager. Oh, yeah. He, he got nominated for an Oscar for that. I think that's about the guy that broke the sound barrier, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And Dad loves that movie. <laughs> the Right Stuff. I remember I used to watch I watched it with him a couple of times. He's playing Beverly Weston today, Meryl's <laughs> husband. 
Playing Barbara Weston today, we have Julia Roberts. Please welcome her back to Kicking and Streaming. She was with us when we did Valentine's Day. She she played Woman on Plane. <laughs> she was with us when we did My Best Friend's Wedding. She was with us when we did Hook. Oh, I, I always forget that she's in Hook for some reason. Yeah, because she's Tinkerbell. Come yeah. on, come on. Playing Karen Weston today, we have Juliette Lewis. She's never been here before. I don't think so, no, because we haven't done Gilbert Grape. We haven't done Natural Born Killers. And we won't. <laughs> I know. That's a terrible Karen, movie. Look, look at me. Yeah. I promise you, you. I promise you we won't. <laughs> Do Natural Born Killers? No. It's very disturbing film. It's the film that inspired the Columbine Killers. Oh, boy. I know. She was also in the sequel to Terms of Endearment with Shirley MacLaine, mm-hmm. which I think is called The Evening Star. I rather like that movie. Playing Ivy Weston today, we have Julianne Nicholson. She's never been here before. No, for sure not. She's on something. What is it? She's on Criminal Intent. Yeah. Law and Order. She she was in Masters of Sex with <laughs> with with fucking Lizzie Kaplan and Martin not Martin Sheen, Michael Sheen. That's right. So we've got Julia, Juliet, and Julianne. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> Playing the daughters. Oh my god. Of Sam Shepard and Meryl Streep. We've got Ewan McGregor. He's playing Bill Fordham this week. That's Julia Roberts' husband. He's been with us. He was with us when we did um, Big Fish. Yeah. Oh, God. Ewan, in your eternal handsomeness. You know him, of course, as Obi-Wan Kenobi from the Star Wars prequel trilogy. Uh, Carrie loves him in Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Go ahead. Keep whining about it. I'll make you do it. I swear to God. He's Rodney Copperbottom in Robots. <laughs> yes, he is. He's in Black Hawk Down, Ghost Rider. He was be- he was uh, Lumiere in the live action version of Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Guys, playing Jean Fordham today. <laughs> Welcome her immediately back. Yeah, I know she was with us just last week in Little Miss Sunshine. Abigail Breslin, a much older Abigail Breslin. <laughs> I'll say this is like around Zombie Land. Abigail Breslin. This is seven years after Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah, wow. I know, I know. She's like fourteen or fifteen now. She was also with us when we did Science mm-hmm. for birthday month. <laughs> she couldn't drink the water after it'd been left out too long. It's contaminated. <laughs> Guys, playing Maddie Faye Aiken today, we have Margot Martindale. Please welcome back character actress Margot Martindale. That's right. I have to refer to her by her full name. Character actress Margot Martindale. You will know her from BoJack Horseman, (laughs) where she plays herself. Oh, my God. Guys, she's in The Hours, Million Dollar Baby, Dead Man Walking. We just got done watching her in both Impeachment and in The Act. Linda. <laughs> Linda, I can't offer you a book deal. She, just like Ann Dowd, she is so capable of living in our nightmares. Oh my God, she is an Ann Dowd. Yeah, <laughs> they're cut from the same cloth. <laughs> Instead of this haunted house, it's just me in a room with only Ann Dowd in it. <laughs> Playing Uncle Charlie Aiken today, we have Chris Cooper. He's returning. He was with us when we did The Patriot. I can't remember that character's name. But oh, uh, he Henry, was one of the gen- Henry something. One of the generals or something. Mm-hmm. He's just, when you need a tall guy who looks like he knows what's going on, you get Chris Cooper. I love him in this film. Oh, my he God. He does a great job as Uncle Charlie. Playing Lil Charles Aiken. <laughs> I just wrote Cumberbatch. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't even make it one word. I wrote Cumberbatch. Bimbo Coomberhoomban <laughs> is here. <laughs> Listening to him do an accent... Like an Oklahoma accent, I'm like, 
the fuck, dude? <laughs> yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch is famous for his deep British role, you know? Please welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, Mr. Dermot Mulroney. <laughs> He's playing Steve Huberbrecht today. I'm glad you said his last name because I couldn't do it. He's Karen's fiance, the Juliette Lewis character. Uh, he was with us when we did My Best Friend's Wedding. Oh, boy. With Julia Roberts. And I'm always horrified to remind you of his brief stint on American Horror Story. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. Not in cult. Yeah, Which yeah. is the most triggering season of American Horror Story. <laughs> it sure is. And, folks, we have to talk about a critical cast member here. Yeah. Her name is Misty Upham, and she plays a character called Jonna in the movie, who is a Native American woman. Cheyenne, specifically. uh, Who is hired to take care of Meryl Streep's character. Carrie Ann, would you like to summarize here for me? I I will do my best because, folks, we learned some distressing information today. And you will, too, if you just do a little bit of research. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So Misty Upham tragically passed away not too long after this movie was released. And her family reported her missing. They hadn't heard from her in a long time. And, you know, not just with missing adults, but especially missing adults who are non-white Like, the need is not always great in the eyes of law enforcement to go looking for them if they have no reason to believe they're in peril. Like, I mean, that's just, there's a whole discourse about that in law enforcement. If you want to go look it up, I can drop some sources. But the Auburn Police Department in Washington didn't see a fierce need to go looking for her because she's an adult who can go missing. And frankly, attention is disproportionately paid to Native American people who go missing, especially in the uh, Northwest. I mean, this is a horrible phenomenon that's been going on for centuries now. Yeah, guys, go visit the page for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. I'll be dropping that link as well. And guys, they did finally find her in the wild, like at the bottom of a cliff. Yeah. It looked like maybe she'd fallen or tripped. Something happened. And the medical examiner could not determine her manner of death. It was just sure as fuck premature. It was blunt force trauma. And we're not sure if she was beaten before she fell or if it happened as a result of the fall. Talk a little bit about this Weinstein claim for me, would you? Oh, yeah, because after she died and after abuse allegations against Harvey Weinstein started coming out, her father, Charles Upham, went public with his daughter's allegations that she'd made before she died. She alleged that she was raped by a member of Weinstein's production team at the Golden Globe ceremony where she was honored for this film. At the ceremony. At the ceremony. She was assaulted in a bathroom by a Weinstein executive while reportedly other executives stood around and watched. It's fucking disgusting. It's absolutely abhorrent. I'll also drop the link to his statement in the sources, but I was just, I was horrified to learn all of this because she's a lovely addition to this film and like she really is kind of tokenized as well. And so to learn all of that horrible stuff about this after having seen this movie, I'm like, oh, Misty, you deserve so much better. It makes me look at her in the film differently. It really does. Uh, And I'm kind of sad that I found out all of this just very recently, as in today. Mm -hmm. I found out about this shit today. You feel like it maybe should have been a bigger deal when it happened, right? Yeah, because this film's been out for almost 10 years, Mm -hmm. and this woman has never received justice. Mm -hmm. And the Jonna character... 
I mean, one of the reasons Tracy Letts included the Jonna character in the play was to show that divide, to show the, you know, that in that area where this uh, the setting is in the title. Mm-hmm. It is August and we are in Osage County, Oklahoma. And there used to be a lot of Native American communities in Oklahoma. Let's inclusion of the Jonna character, she's kind of the axis on which all this crazy spins in the play. It's like she's a horrible witness to a long car accident. Exactly. And she can do nothing about it. Yeah. But the thing is, the Jonna character is also kind of dismissed, thrown away. We see a lot less of her in the film than we do in the in the in the stage show. Oh God! And Jonna is an objective outsider mm-hmm. from this family. Rest in power, Misty. My God. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, it's unspeakable. Yeah. But that's the thing. We can't let it be unspeakable, can we? We got to talk about it. It has to be speakable. All right, guys. We're gonna get started here. God. Hold on to your butts. <laughs> Again, lots of nervous laughing, and I'm sorry about it. It's, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Exactly. Like, that's how I come at it, is if I if I don't giggle at it a little bit, I'm going to sob. We open with these lovely long shots of Osage County, Oklahoma. A lot of flat, hot nothing, ain't it? <laughs> oh, my God. I love this little... This little uh, disconcerting string theme that's going on in the background Mm -hmm. with these long shots of the plains. The way this place looks exactly like Shelby County. Oh, yeah. In a lot of spots. Shelby, Rush, Fayette. Yeah, it looks a lot. That whole tri-county area where we grew up. It looks a lot like the heartland where we live. And we, in voiceover, we have the character Beverly Weston. Life is very long. T.S. Eliot. Not the first person to say it, certainly not the first person to think it, but he's given credit for it because he bothered to write it down. <laughs> Beverly is in the middle of a job interview. Mm-hmm. This is Misty Upham. This is Jonna. Jonna is a woman that Beverly is hiring to take care of his very sick wife, Violet. Violet has a lot of issues. She's addicted to narcotics, she has cancer, and Beverly decides, you know what? I'm getting a little old for all of this. Facts are, my wife takes pills and I drink. That's the bargain we've struck. A little paragraph in our marriage contract. So rather than once more vow abstinence with my fingers crossed, I have chosen to turn my life over to a higher power. So what we're dealing with is a pair of codependent addicts. Like, that's what I'm hearing. I'm not qualified. In their their twilight years. Yeah, I'm not qualified to use those words, but that's the vocabulary I have for it. Mm -hmm. These are both people who are abusing substances of their choice, and they are just wrapped around each other in the most toxic way. The thing about Beverly is that he's an old educator. He's a poet. Yeah. He's an award-winning poet. Mm -hmm. And he used to teach at Tulsa University in Oklahoma. And, but... He's obviously been retired for quite some time now and has been an alcoholic for most of his life. He's hiring Jonna to cook and to clean and to transport Violet around when she needs it because she needs medical treatment. This is where we get Violet for the first time as well. 
God, every time I, you know how I had to stop myself from writing violence every time I went to type <laughs> yeah. her name. Violent, violet. I don't. From the jump, I don't like violet. And you shouldn't. Not because she's addicted to pills, but because when she is high, the ugliest parts of her leak out. This poor Cheyenne Nation woman is just sitting there trying to submit to an interview from Beverly, and she's seeing firsthand what she's gonna have to deal with. And I'm like, Jonna, run! Run, baby! Don't look back! The hell with these sick white people! And she basically comes in and just makes an ass out of herself in front of Jonna. <laughs> Sorry, I took some medicine from my mom. From my mom. <laughs> my muscular. From my muscular. Why don't you go back to bed, sweetheart? Why don't you go fuck a fucking sow's ass? Oh. Okay. Okay. Oh, God. The way he just goes, all right. <laughs> and you can't skip over one of my favorite lines because Violet leaves the room. Mm-hmm. My wife's been diagnosed with a touch of cancer and she'll need to be driven down to Tulsa for her final chemotherapy treatments. Mm. What kind of cancer? Oh my God, I nearly neglected the punchline. Mouth cancer. Do you have any questions? Um, what pills does she take? Oh, Valium, Vicodin, uh, Darvon, Darvacet, Percodan, Percocet, uh, Xanax for fun, Oxycontin in a pinch. How the fuck is she upright? I know, right? All of that shit in her system? Oh, I've got lots to say about the doctors that are taking care of her later. Like, this is just insane. Here we go around the prickly pear. Prickly pear, prickly pear. Here we go around the prickly pear. Girl, keep the beat going. <laughs> Carrie Ann's sick of this song, but I love it. Oh, this song haunts me now, and it's this movie's entire fault. So thanks a heap, Mr. Wells, for <laughs> ruining it for me. There is nothing that is wrong wanting you to stay here with me. Now's a good time as any to talk about the rest of the family while we've got these opening credits rolling. Okay, so you've got Beverly Weston proper. He's the he is the patriarch. He's married to Violet. He and Violet have three daughters, the oldest of which is Barbara. That's Julia Roberts. Barbara is the oldest then. Yes, Barbara is the oldest. Barbara looks amazing for her age. I know. Barbara is married to Bill and they have Jean together. Abby Breslin. Uh-huh. Bar- Barbara and Bill are kind of separated right now, because uh-huh. Bill likes to have sex with his students, as he is also an educator. Oh, stop that! Yeah, really, stop that. Please. You, ha- you have a wife for that, and if she doesn't want to fuck you, have a divorce. I don't care. Just don't have sex with your students! Yeah, just don't have sex with your students. It's inappropriate. Uh, and then, of course, we've got Ivy. She's the middle child. She is unmarried. That's Julianne Nicholson. She's the only one that still lives in Osage County. Yeah. Of she, the children. She's the one that has been taking care of Violet. And I think that Ivy may have made it clear to Beverly that that is slowly coming to an end for her. Yeah. And then we've got the youngest, who is Karen. Karen lives in Florida. She's a real estate agent. Karen is a tube of cheap hair dye with bad judgment. Um, She's annoying as fuck. She also has had a slew of different boyfriends. We shouldn't judge Karen too harshly. There's obviously a lot to unpack with Karen, but we'll get there. Oh, I've got big old problems with Karen. Violet, Meryl Streep, has a sister, Maddie Faye, who is played by Margot Martindale. She is married to Charlie Aiken, who is Chris Cooper, and together they have Benedict Cumberbatch. They have (laughs) little Charles. 
Charles Aiken Jr. They call him Little Charles instead of calling him Charles Jr. Who is the cousin to Barbara, Ivy, and Karen. So that's the whole family right there. This takes us to Colorado, to Denver. That's where the Fordhams live. That's where Bill, Barbara, and Jean live. The phone is ringing. Jean is trying to wake up her mother. Ma! You didn't hear the phone? If it's your father, tell him to fuck off. It's Aunt Ivy from Oklahoma. Oh, God. Okay, this is kind of how Barb's going to be. Yeah, no. Barb is a bitter person. Oh, no. Barbara has third parent syndrome. She really does. She really does. Barbara spent a lot of her young life wrangling in her fucked up parents, and she moved away to get some peace and quiet, and now it's about to be derailroaded again. On the phone is Ivy to tell Barbara that their father is missing, and no one knows where he is. So we've got like a little phone tree going here. Like, dad is missing, put out the call to all the family. Yeah. And all the family starts moving, starts driving towards the house in Osage County. I love this little scene we get between Violet and Ivy, where Violet is just bitching about everyone in her life. Oh my God. When she's popping those pills. Yeah. She pops one, she pops another, and then goes, how many was that? And Ivy's just like, wasn't counting. Oh, my God. Ivy is just kind of desensitized to the addiction at this point. There's nothing she can do about it. Mm -hmm. Violet's going to get her pills one way or another. And I know that she's been kind of taking care of her, but she's just so burnt out at this point. She's like, she's going to do what she's going to do. And I'm just going to be here to take her to the hospital when it happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? I called Karen. Oh. Yeah. What'd she say? She said she'd try to get here. <laughs> oh, she'd be big fat help. Just like you. <laughs> is your mouth burning? Like a son of a bitch. My tongue is on fire. You supposed to be smoking? Is anybody supposed to smoke? No, Violet. No, they're not. No, they're not. Oh, my goodness. You should take a look in the mirror. I know. <laughs> Aunt Maddie Faye's here. She's here to tell me what's what. Now we got to talk about Uncle Charles and Aunt Maddie Faye, which is just the most Tennessee friggin' Williams name I've ever heard in my life. Fannie Mae is, like we said, Violet's sister, and Charles is her husband and the father of their son, Charles Jr. Mm -hmm. Lil Charles. Lil Charles. The fact that they call him Lil Charles just makes me want to heave. Yeah, no, yeah. He's a grown-ass man. And they come into the house, and one of the first things we're talking about is the heat in the house and how dark it is in the house. It's 110 degrees. It's Oklahoma, baby. Oh, God. The sun is beating down. Because we're filming on location, right? Oh, yeah. And you were telling me something about the production. What was it? Oh, they they literally made up a bunch of this glitz to wipe on the actors so they'd look super sweaty. Didn't need any of it. Oh, they sweated plenty much on their own? Yeah, yeah. The, gliss, the, gliss, the, the, the glistening of the sweat came through just fine. <laughs> We don't need makeup down here. Oh, man. And like I said, the other thing is they've got all of the shades drawn in the house. And the shades taped to the windows. So they can't be pulled back up. I mean, where did this start? This this business of taping the shades. Ran a couple of years now. Do you know its purpose? You can't tell if it's night or day. I think that's the purpose. When you're living with substance abuse, sometimes it's like that. 
Like, not only does it keep the sun out of your eyes and keep it from hurting your brain, Mm -hmm. but, like, sometimes, man, it's just better to go without a timeline when you're addicted. Like, I've known people with substance abuse issues who are like that. They don't want to know what time of day it is. They just want to know whether or not it's time for the next hit, the next drink. (laughs) Leave me alone. Yeah, leave me alone with my disease. Mm -hmm. It's a very common mentality. We're on the road. We're in the car with the Fordhams. Yeah, Bar, Bill, and Gene. The instrumental of that Kings of Leon song playing in the background. Yeah, and Barb, I love Barb. She's looking around at all of the arid dryness and going, we murdered the Native Americans for this. What were these people thinking? The jokers who settled this place. There was an asshole that looked at all this flat, hot nothing and implanted his flag. We fucked the Indians for this. Well, genocide always seems like such a good idea at the time. Right. Just need a little hindsight. I want to talk about Jean for a hot second. Yeah, she's just your run-of-the-mill teenager, wants nothing to do with her parents, mad as hell at both of them for not staying together. Yeah, like, that's all pretty typical stuff, right? But then, like, I also have written, the level of supervision over this child is non-existent. Yeah. You know how I know that? She's smoking. Yeah, I know. She gets out of the car when they pull up to the house and she goes, I'm going to grab a smoke. She's 14 years old. I know. Bill and Barb are just letting her do it. And then as soon as they go in the house, Jean is being subjected to Maddie Faye and her handsy hugs. We're all Maddie Faye in this moment because we just had her in Little Miss Sunshine. You come here and give your Aunt Maddie Faye some sugar. Oh, Bill. Man, you have dropped some weight, haven't you? Look at you. You're so big. Look at your boobs. Last time I saw you, you looked like a little boy. Why do aunties do this? Why, 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 yeah, why is everyone's Midwestern family so weird? Like, why do they think it's appropriate to comment on teen girls' chests like they wouldn't rather die than be perceived? Because it's normal for them. It's normalized. That kind of behavior, that kind of objectification is normalized for waspy people. Oh, gross. Because it's fine. We're not being gross. We're just being observant. Yeah, we're just truth-telling. I'm just truth-telling. About time some truth told around here. Shut up. Anyway... Maddie Faye and Charlie are going on their way. (laughs) Bill and Barb and Violet are having to sit down. Where the fuck is dad? What the fuck happened? Violet tells Barb and Bill that Beverly was there like two days ago in the morning. Like, Jonna cooked them breakfast and right after breakfast he left. He was gone all day and he never came home. Are you sure there wasn't some incident that triggered his leaving? Some event? Like a fight? Yeah. No. No. I mean... (laughs) We fought enough, you know, but no. Maybe he needed some time away from you. Oh, that's nice of you to say. Hey, it's no crime. Marriage is hard. Under the best of circumstances. (laughs) (laughs) When she goes, oh, that's so nice of you to say. When Barb says the thing about, hey, marriage is hard. And Bill, like, under his breath goes, under the best of circumstances. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, Bill, we get it. Like, he's literally just here for appearances. Yeah. So that no one will ask questions about where he is. The big, okay, first of all, Meryl, the wig is askew. I know it's (laughs) supposed to be, but this wig that Violet is wearing because she has cancer, it's either too far back on her head or too to the side or too forward. We can never get it right. And then to top it all off with the see-through blouse and the big, gigantic, you know... Sunglasses. Sunglasses. And, you know, meanwhile, 
We always have Jonna pitta-puttering around in the background. We hired this woman. You didn't ask me. We hired this woman to come live in our house a few days before he left. You don't want her here? Well, I have an Indian in my house. You have a problem with Indians, Violet? I don't know what to say to an Indian. They're called Native Americans, Mom. Who makes that decision? It's what they like to be called. They aren't any more native than me. In fact, they are. What's wrong with Indians? Why can't you just call people what they want to be called? Let's just call the dinosaurs Native Americans while we're at it. She's so racist and horrible. They're called Native Americans, Mom. Who makes that decision? <laughs> They're it's not any more Native, Native American than me. Than me. In, In fact... fact they are. I love Barb. <laughs> we are all Barb. In fact, they are. Like, you're so right, Barb. Absolutely. I mean, like, how are they not putting anything together? Yeah. Beverly hired a woman and then disappeared. Hired a woman to take care of his very sick wife and then disappeared. Yeah, I don't know, guys. If you haven't got it figured out already, just put a pin in it. We'll come back to it in just a second. She also mentions this thing about how she and Beverly had an arrangement that if something happened to one of them, one of them would go and empty the safety deposit box they have down at the bank. Yeah. It's got a bunch of money in it and a, some very expensive jewelry and how she was wanting to get at the stuff in that box. Yeah. Put a pin in that. Mm. It'll be very crucial in the end. She just starts picking at them. The mood got too light, so Violet had to bring it down. Yeah, just she's always trying to undo whatever sort of relationship Barbara thinks she had with her father. You know, you broke your father's heart when you moved away. And Barbara starts getting angry back at her. What was I supposed to do? Colorado gave Bill twice what he was making at TV. Why are we even getting You think Daddy wouldn't have jumped at an opportunity like that? Oh, you're wrong there. He never would have gotten Beverly Weston out of Oklahoma. He gave me his blessing. (laughs) That's what he told you. And now you're going to tell me the true story, some terrible shit he said All behind right. my back? everybody's on edge. Beverly didn't say Why, come on. terrible things behind your back. He just told me he's disappointed in you because you settled. I love how she's looking at Bill. <laughs> yeah. While she's saying it. Yeah, absolutely settled, honey. And, like, she does this all the time, especially to Barbara, because Barbara is the one of out, out of all the sisters who is loudest about her mother's drug use. Yeah. And Violet is usually able to turn it around on her. She likes the fight. By emotionally manipulating her. Yeah, she does love the fight. Like, Violet disappears into the bathroom and Barbara throws the door open. Are you high? Yeah. I mean, literally, are you taking something? A muscle relaxer. She's getting in trouble for popping a muscle relaxer. And all of a sudden, it's like a five, six, seven, eight. We are blubbering about how hurt she is. I will not go through this with you again. I'm not going to go through it again. I'm not. I'm in pain. And now Beverly's disappeared and you're, you're yelling at me. I'm not <clears throat> yelling. You know, you couldn't come home when I got cancer. Beverly disappeared. You rushed right back. This literally guilts Barbara. The look on her face while Violet starts crying. Like, she just like, oh my God, she has me in this corner. And she's like, she just says, I'm sorry. She manipulated Barbara into apologizing to her. Like, that is some... Very practiced, toxic behavior. You know why Barbara didn't come back when you got cancer? Because she probably didn't care. Yeah. She probably didn't care, Violet. You were horrible to her, like, your whole life. And you know what? Yeah, she probably likes Beverly more than you. Like, because here's the thing. Yes, Beverly also had substance abuse issues. But there's this thing called outrageous overshadowing. Yeah. Where when 
two people are misbehaving, but one person's behavior is so much worse than the other person's that that lesser person just gets a pass. I kind of get the vibe that Beverly maybe tried to be a parent. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he could maybe scrape together enough sobriety to actually parent when he was able to, but with Violet, it was just a nothing burger. She couldn't be bothered. Do you know where I think he is? I think he got some whiskey and a carton of cigarettes and a couple of spy novels and I think he got out on the boat and steered it to a nice spot close to shore like he likes and and I think he's gonna walk through that door anytime. Guys, I'm so sorry, but he will not be walking through the door anytime. We get this horrible sequence where we see Beverly, indeed, taking the boat out on the lake. But he jumps in, guys. He drowns himself. Like that, those, that, that, those horrible images of his dead body being dressed for the funeral. And, you know, we just get a big wide shot of the cars driving through the planes. They're going to the funeral. They're pulling up to the funeral. And that's when we first see... Karen, for the first time, walking up to the church. She's the youngest Weston child, and she's walking up to the church with her new man. That must be this year's man, says Barbara. That's Steve, for those of you who were wondering. That's Dermot Mulroney. We hate Steve. We hate Steve uh, on this podcast. Um, like, he drives a ridiculously loud and flashy muscle car. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like this big red convertible. Like, that scene where they're driving to the funeral, and he skirts around them, not knowing it's them. Blaring the George Lopez theme song. Oh, my God. <laughs> Lowrider. <laughs> and you guys guessed it, she's engaged to Steve the Knob. So yeah, we have the we don't get to see the funeral service, but we do get the car conversation on the way back. So the Akins and Violet are in one car ahead of them. And then Barbara is in the car with Karen. Here's the thing about Karen. She won't shut the fuck up. Yeah, Karen is inappropriately chipper, given that they are on their way home from their father's funeral. I don't know what her major malfunction is. I can't understand Karen's character at all. Like, Karen is just like a 16-year-old in a 40-something-year-old woman's body. Yeah. Like, she's so childish. Some major arrested in development. Probably to shield herself from her mother's abuse. Yeah, that's the thing. Even though these people's behavior is outlandish to us in majority, we have to remind ourselves that they are children of hardcore addicts. You're right. And that's something that we cannot fundamentally relate to. I'm surprised none of them are. Yeah. I'm surprised none of the girls are addicts. But one day, I, finally, I said, it's me. It's just me. I don't need anything else. I can live my life with myself. And that's when I got my license. I threw myself into my work, and I sold a ton of houses. And that's how I met Steve. <laughs> and that's how it works, Barb. Uh. Like, she is so... It's, I think this must be a trauma response. She has to live in something else so that she's not living her reality. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it's like she's just coming for a family gathering. Mm-hmm. Like your father hasn't just committed suicide and you've just attended his funeral. Yeah. All she can talk about is her life in Florida, you know, how she raised herself up out of abusive relationship and that's how she met Steve. And like literally, this it's just a solid seven 
eight minutes of her just talking nonstop. <laughs> by and by the time they make it all the way in to where she's going to stay in the house, and Barb isn't even listening anymore. She's just letting that fan blow inside her blouse <laughs> and letting Karen yammer on. By the time we get to her mentioning that they're going to Belize on their honeymoon, I want to crawl out of my skin and smack her to death. I don't know what would be worse, having to be in that car with Karen or having to be in Steve's car. Because Steve and Bill and Gene are in his red sports car. Yeah. Because Steve took Bill into town so he could get wine for Barbara. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> wine to cope. Because that's where we get the first inkling of inappropriate behavior with Steve. I hate Steve! Like, Steve literally is, like, talking Gene up at the car. While Bill is inside getting wine? Like, trying to get her to admit that she smokes pot? What are you doing? Do I smell what I think I smell? I don't know. What do you smell? It's that pot. You're smoking pot. Come on. No. You can tell me. No. You're a little dope smoker. No. And you are in luck. Because I happen to have some really tasty shit. Sir, step away from the 14-year-old girl. That's the first question he asks her is how old she is. Well, he asks her if it's always this hot here. And uh-huh. then asks, and then goes, so you're what, 17? Because 17, he could get away with it, right? Ugh. Oh, my fucking God. I hate him so much. We get this scene where Maddie Faye, Violet, and Ivy are going through photographs and some old clothes and old belongings. And once again... Ivy is getting pestered about why she doesn't have a boyfriend. I, I, I hate it. I hate it. Like, like, leave women alone. Ivy is like pushing 50 years old. Yeah, and of course they're making fun of her ebbing age. Oh my God. Uh, and Ivy, just to shut them the fuck up, is like, you know what? I have a man, okay? I have a man. And they're like, what? <laughs> Tell us all about him. What's he like? What's he do? You said you weren't looking for a man. And I'm not, because I already have one. Okay, now will you leave it alone? No, no let's not leave it, not alone. leave it alone. I wish you both could see the brain-sick looks on your face. Well, who is it? Nobody. Oh. Tell us, is, oh. he, is he someone from school? How old is he? Hey, what does I'm he not, do? I'm not telling you anything. Wait, you have to tell us something. No, I really don't. And Ivy's not telling. Oh, guys. Ivy can't say anything. Uh, I, guys, I, I, I hate that we can't talk about it yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> remember that pin? Keep it there. It's getting ready to be pulled. I just, uh, we cut to a bus station. Charlie has gone to pick up little Charles, who was late and missed the funeral. Yeah, he forgot to set his alarm or something. He feels real, real bad about it. I'm sorry, Dad. No need to apologize. I know Mom's mad at me. No, don't worry about her. What'd she say? Mother, she says what she says. I set the alarm, I did. I know you did. I loved Uncle Bev, you know that. Just stop apologizing. I missed his funeral. Charlie's a rather sweet, simple sort of guy. Like, he's like, he's just not very assuming. But he is very, very sensitive about others' perceptions of him. Yes. Because a lot of his family, namely his mother. Yeah, not very kind to him. Not very kind to him at all. She's always picking on him because he's not the strongest or the smartest or the best at anything, really. always in front of his family. Yeah. Like, it's so cruel. They're so cruel to that man. Violet and Maddie Faye's childhood must have been a nightmare. Oh, God. For them to treat people this way. I know. Uh, And I love this scene because I think it's important for us as an audience 
to understand who Charles and little Charles are as father and son, right? Yeah, because it's literally the healthiest relationship in the movie. Just about. Yeah. Charles Sr. is always supporting his kid and like saying, hey, you are good enough for us. You are good enough for me. You, Your mother and I love you very much. That kind of reassuring stuff that's just like black tar heroin in this family. When we cut back to the farm, we get this little sequence with Bill and Barbara going out to the shed to get chairs. For dinner. And Barbara's just mad because she thinks Gene's misbehaving and Bill's not doing enough to help. Be a father. Help me. I am a father. God damn it. Oh, I love it because this argument like starts at a stage whisper when they they come out of the door of the house. It just gets louder and louder. It escalates into full-blown shouting. Grow up while you are dyeing your hair and going through your fifth puberty. The world is falling apart and our kid can't handle it. Our kid is trying to deal with this goddamn madhouse you've dragged her into. This madhouse is my home. Yeah, think about that statement for a second. Jean is here with me because this is a family event. Jean is here because she's a buffer between you and the shrill insanity of your mother. You'd have a lot more credibility if you had any credibility. You're an easy mark. You're so goddamn self-righteous. You know that yourself? Surely you must have realized when you started porking Pippi Longstocking that you were due for some self-righteousness. Just a smidge of indignation on my part. Maybe I split because of it. Even though Bill is kind of trash because he sleeps with his students, Mm -hmm. like, I just, I do get the impression that Bill, like her, had no idea how to fix this marriage. And he wishes he could. Yeah. But he just doesn't know how. Like, when he's describing her, he's like, you're a wonderful, passionate, beautiful woman, but you're a pain in the ass. He's right. I know. He's right. Barbara's like one of my favorite characters. But you will see as the film goes on just how similar she and Violet are in temperament. Uh, It's learned behavior. You know what I mean? The Aiken boys get back to the farm. Oh my God, Carrie. I know. We have to talk about it. I don't want to. How can we not, Ross? Okay, we're going to talk about this right now. And we're going to minimize it until we have to maximize it again. Yeah, because I don't know where to begin. Little Charles is walking up and Ivy comes out into the yard. They said you overslept? Maybe I purposely accidentally overslept. I don't know. I'm so sorry. Please. I know you had one of the worst days of your life, and I'm sorry that I wasn't there. We don't have to do that with each other. And she kisses him on the lips. You're breaking our rule. They're on to me. Not us, just me. I told them I was seeing someone. I didn't tell them who. I just wanted you to know in case it came up. Kissing cousins in Oklahoma! Guys, they're first cousins. This man that Ivy's been talking about to Maddie Faye and I've Violet. I've got a man. You know, I've got a man. Oh my God. Their mothers are sisters. That is just too close. And there are people in this world who think it's not that weird. And there are places where this happens commonly. Yeah. Like, marrying your cousin used to be just, like, an upper-class way to keep money in the family. It was the staple. You know, gradually, we learned, hey, maybe that's not good for our bloodlines. Folks, there are plenty of fish in the sea. Do not let your uncle also be your father-in-law. Oh, my God. Uh, ooh. It's just weird to me. Ivy lives in a dead-end town with no one to care for but her mother. Charles is the only man in her life that is closest to her. I still don't get it, though. I know, they obviously have a lot of affection for each other, and they're not planning to have children. She can't have children. We'll get back to that in a second. Yeah. And everybody's a consenting adult, so 
okay, whatever, but you're... N- but no. Your first cousin? But no, yeah, not your cousin. Like, I mean, guys, it's just, it's my personal opinion that it's weird. It's, it's my, my personal, personal opinion, opinion that, that it's weird. weird. I don't speak for everybody. When I say it's kind of naughty, in my personal opinion, it is weird. (laughs) I just, oh my God. Okay. (laughs) We've come to the act one closer, which (laughs) is the dinner scene. I have in all capital letters, bold print, red lettering, the dinner scene. Why don't you rally off a couple of things before we get started here? Yeah, because like this scene's very long. There's a lot of things to talk about in this scene, but I just thought I'd start off with a lightning round of items, okay? So we can get through this fast. Number one, Charles comes in the house with his mother's casserole dish, and the first thing he does is drop it all over the floor. And the way... Fanny Mae comes unglued Maddie over it. Maddie Faye. Did I say it again? God. <laughs> and the way Manny Faye. Maddie Faye. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Her name is Maddie Faye. Well, I'm so mad I can't even read my own it's, notes. It's okay. The way Fatty Mae. No. <laughs> Gary! <laughs> say, say, say her name for me. Matty <laughs> Faye. Fatty Mae. <laughs> Fanny Mae. <laughs> Auntie Faye. I'm glad we're laughing now because it's going to be downhill from here. Her name is Maddie Faye Aiken. Okay. The way Maddie Faye comes unglued over this broken casserole dish. Oh, I know. I'm so sorry. What about me? I'm hurt. But you're not hurt. It's not a party go. until somebody spills That something. is my casserole. I'm sorry. The mess I made. Let it go, I'm so Maddie sorry. No. Number two, the prayer that lasts way too long. Oh, isn't this awful when this happens? You ever been in a family get? Ga- well, I know you have. <laughs> but guys out there, you ever been to a family gathering and the prayer is just too damn long? <laughs> Like, God bless Uncle Charles. He's like the patriarch now, right? So Hardly, he, but yeah, he, Barbara decides he should pray. And so he's saying the blessing, and every time you think Charles is coming to the end of the blessing, he just keeps going. And like you can see Violet like practically looking at her watch yeah. while he's talking. <laughs> watch over this family in the sad time, oh Lord, that you bless this good woman and Keep her in your, in your f- grace. F- Number three, Steve's cell phone starts ringing in the middle of the blessing. It's the Sanford and Sons theme. And like he gets up and goes away from the table to take the call. And Charles is still praying. Yeah, when he comes back, Charles is still praying. Number four. Violet is openly criticizing the service for Beverly, the one that the preacher gave, Mm -hmm. talking about how stupid it was that the preacher talked about all of these nice things about Beverly, about how he was a poet and a teacher, instead of all those really horrible stories about himself, like the time he embarrassed himself at the alumni dinner. He drank a whole bottle of rum, rum, bokoi, white rum. I remember that. And he gets up to give this talk, and he fouled himself. Yeah, he comes back to the table with this great big year. Yeah, I can't imagine why no one told that story. Well, he didn't get invited back to any more TU alumni dinners, I can tell you that. 
listen, the man was not perfect, but he's dead, so can we not? Can I add another thing to this list? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. The way that she is asking her children if they want certain articles of furniture in the house because she's going to start getting rid of everything that she doesn't want. Yeah. And says that she will sell things to them cheaper than she might get at an auction. Ho, 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 ho. Got a lot of problems with that. You just buried their father today. Yeah, when you want to talk about this now. And they want to talk about money and the way she also tells them that they were going to leave the girl some money or that at least Beverly was. Yeah. But that... Oh, we didn't get around to doing it officially, but he meant to leave everything to me. Oh, I'm sure, Violet. And, like, stares Barbara down and goes, okay. And Barbara goes, yeah. And then looks at Karen and goes, Karen, okay. And Karen is, like, shrinking in her chair. Mm-hmm. Like, she's afraid of her. And yeah. she's like, mm-hmm, yeah, it's fine. And, like, Ivy, okay. And Ivy's like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. Nobody and, wants to fight her on it. Yeah, and I'm like, that's their money. <laughs> I love Charlie. You are in rare form today, Vi. Yeah, Uncle Charlie is the first one to say to Violet, you know, I know that we just buried your husband today, but you sure are being an unruly You are in rare form today, Vi. Well, the day calls for it, doesn't it? What, what form would you have me in? Hmm? I just don't understand why you're so adversarial. I'm just truth-telling. Some people are antagonized by the truth. Everyone here loves you, dear. Oh, you think you can shame me, Charlie? Blow it out your ass! Every time she says that, I die laughing. It's just the way she says it. She could not give less of a fuck about this man. Here we go with the sob story from the past about how nobody knows what suffering Violet has endured in her natural life. Oh yeah, the first thing Violet does is start in on the emotional manipulation. Her and Maddie Faye's violent childhood, how Maddie Faye saved her from being attacked by one of her mother's boyfriends. Yeah, um... With a claw hammer! Yeah, uh, Maddie Faye and Violet's mother was not a good woman uh, at all. Put a, put put a pin in that. We'll get back to more of that later. And then we start with the martyrdom, right? Talking about how difficult both of her and Bev's childhoods were. And the fact that Bev lived in a car for six years with his family. Like, real hardship, right? Mm-hmm. And then comparing it to their stupid, spoiled lives, in her opinion. You girls just given a college education. If you worked as hard as us, you'd all be president. You have no real problems. You gotta make all your problems yourselves. Why are you screaming at us? <sighs> just time. Some truth told around here. Damn fine day, tell the truth. I just want to knock her backwards out of that chair. Truth telling. That's what people who are assholes say when they're just saying whatever they want. They're like, oh, I'm just saying, you know, I'm just telling the truth. This is where little Charles decides he's going to stand up. I got the truth to tell. It speaks. What is it, son? I I have a truth. A little Charles. (laughs) I... Charles, not like this, please. (laughs) The way Ivy begins to panic. Oh, God. Everybody's staring at him, and he walks it back at the last possible second. Truth is, I forgot to set the clock. Uh, Power didn't go out. I I, I forgot to set the clock. I'm sorry, Mom. I was like, oh my God, he's really going to tell everyone he's been stooping his cousin. And then he just kind of, he sees the look in Ivy's face and he's like, I, 
I forgot to set the clock. I didn't oversleep. I, I forgot to set the clock. I'm sorry, everybody. And he becomes overwhelmed and leaves the table. Like, do you see what Violet almost did? Which she almost dragged out into the light. I know. With her truth telling. Holy shit. And then Ross, the next thing I have in my notes is unhinged barb. Unhinged barb. Unhinged barb. <laughs> okay, so Barbara decides, all right, you want to do some truth telling? Here's some truth. You're a drug addict. You're a drug addict. And have you, you know the show Snapped about the murdering women? Yeah. We should put Barbara on Snapped because she just about made it. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm a drug addict. I love drugs, I, especially pills, especially downers. You see these little blue babies? These are my best fucking friends and they never let me down. You try to get them away from me. I'll eat you alive. Barbara jumps up from her seat, throws herself on Violet. Trying to get that pill bottle away from her. Oh my God. And as soon as Maddie Faye gets her pulled off of Violet, Barbara calls for a pill raid. I love all of the different reactions to her attacking her mother. (laughs) The way Karen is like, curled up with Steve in the corner. Bill is like holding Jean close because her mother's being erratic. The way Ivy is standing there with her hand on her mouth, the look on her face is two things. It's one, I can't believe Barb just did that. And two, I can't believe it wasn't me. Uh, I I can't believe I didn't get to do that. (laughs) Okay. Pill raid. Remember this? Remember how it goes? Search everything. Every closet, every drawer, every shoebox. This is my pal. Karen, call Dr. Burke. Okay. You can't do this. This is my house. This is my house. You don't get it, do you? You don't get it. I am running things now. Unhinged Barb! Unhinged Barb! Violet's whimper as we cut to the shot of Beverly and Violet's wedding photo. It's like, oh my God, I can't stand it. We cut to Barbara turning over bottle after bottle after bottle into the toilet to flush all these pills. Like this woman, Violet, has been doctor shopping for years and they are all over prescribing her medication. The fucking plug is Big Pharma! That's where we cut to Dr. Burke's office. They go see this doctor, Dr. Burke. And yes, I am using air quotes there. Mm -hmm. He's trying to tell them that Violet has suffered long-term brain damage from her pill abuse. Mild cognitive impairment. I love this. (laughs) She starts chucking the pill bottles at him one by one. (laughs) He's like, all right. Mild cognitive impairment? Are you fucking kidding me? All right. You know whose name's on these bottles? Fine. Do you? Your mother's a very sick person. She's got a whole bucket of these at home with your name on it. Evidence for the medical board. I hope she does sue him, and I hope he loses everything. I, me too. This is so beyond unethical. The fact that he's been overprescribing this woman for years, and now he's trying to shuttle her into a facility so they'll be less likely to sue him. I hate it. I, fuck. Ugh. Yeah, no. Fuck Big Pharma. Listen... We don't have to talk about this at length, but we get this really weird sequence when they're on the way home and Violet says she's going to be sick. So they pull over and then Violet just runs into the middle of a field. I don't know why this scene's in the movie. I think it's to give us 
I don't know, some sort of feeling? I, I really don't know. But all all Barb does is chase her in the middle of the field, lie down with her, and she's like, where are you going? There's nowhere you can go. Ah! Mom, wait! Or maybe it's some symbolism of, like, you can't escape uh-huh. or whatever. I, I don't know. So, later that night, we cut to the girls. All the Weston girls are sitting in a little, I don't know, it's a little house away from the house. It's a screened-in <laughs> porch. I don't know. It's designed to be a place where you can actually enjoy the weather on that property. Yeah. Like, so you could be outside, but also not in the sun. They're schmoozing over wine. They're reminiscing. And it's finally Barb. Who just completely changes the subject. She, <laughs> she sure does. She turns right to Ivy and she goes, are you fucking our first cousin? <laughs> Is there something going on between you and little Charles? <laughs> I don't know that I'm comfortable talking about that. Because he is our first cousin, you know. Give me a break. You know you shouldn't consider children. I can't anyway. I had a hysterectomy last year. Why? Cervical cancer. And we find out that her and Charles actually started bonding, like started, you know, getting to know each other and falling in love because of a very terrible thing in Ivy's life. Ivy was also diagnosed with cancer. Cervical cancer. Yeah, this was like this was like a year ago. And Charles was apparently little Charles was apparently a support network for her. He was the only one she told. Yeah. She didn't tell her mother, she didn't tell her father. And they're shocked when they hear it too, the girls are. Yeah, they didn't know either. Karen and Barb had no idea. And and this is how I kind of started to maybe understand the little Charles and Ivy thing a little bit. Uh-huh. Like, you know, when first cousins fall in love, when I hear stories about it. It's not uncommon to also hear that the family has a lot of problems. Certain family members will grow incredibly close as a trauma response to what they've experienced. And it can happen. I, it's, it's still strange for me to empathize with, but I also kind of see where they're both coming from. And Ivy also has very deep-rooted resentment for her sisters because, you know, Barbara left after she'd had enough and Karen moved away too. And she felt like the responsibility of taking care of her parents was left all on her shoulders. And it kind of was. Um, She could have done something about it. Yeah. But, like, she decided to stay and take care of them. And she is resentful of the other two because of that. And like, and and like, listen, she thinks that she's finally found her little corner of happiness yeah. in the world. And like, she's kind of using it as just a license to sleep with her cousin. <sighs> They're going to run away to New York together. What are you going to do in New York? We have plans. Like what? None of your business. What about mom? What about her? You feel comfortable leaving her here. Do you? You're going back to Miami, right? Yes. Well, there you go, Barb. You want to know what we're doing about Mom? Karen and I are leaving. You want to stay? That's your decision, but nobody gets to point a finger at me. Nobody. It's like it's a dare. Yeah. She's like, you want to stay here and deal with that? That's fine. In the meantime, I'm going to go be happy with our first cousin. And you don't get to criticize me for it. Right? And I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) 
So Ivy's mad at them. They're all going back in the house with their wine glasses, and they pass Violet on that little swing in the yard. She's smoking a cigarette, coming down off of something. This is horrible. Like, I was even wondering if you wanted to talk about this. The Raymond Qualls situation. And she's like, did I ever tell you about Raymond Qualls? And his cowboy boots. Raymond Qualls was a boy that Violet had a crush on when they were children. And he had these shiny chocolate leather cowboy boots. And Violet thought if she could get herself a pair, a girly pair of those boots, she'd be the one for him. And she begged her mother, please and please, to get her those boots. She she saw the perfect pair in a store downtown, had to have them. And then her mother starts teasing her about a Christmas present. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a box under the tree. Vi, don't you peek? Don't you go in there and look before Christmas morning? And when Violet finally gets to open up the present, her mother has put a pair of mud-caked, shit-stained men's work boots in them. My mama laughed about that for days. The way Violet just kind of goes silent after that, there's a tear coming down her face. Yeah. Please don't tell me that's the end of the story. Oh, no, that... (laughs) That's, That's the end. My mama was mean, nasty, mean old lady. I suppose that's where I get it from. (laughs) It's the kind of thing that is a special kind of evil, like the extra work her mother went to. To be cruel? To be cruel to her on Christmas morning. Yeah. When many kids are at their happiest, you know? And she ruined that whole day for her. And I just, I need everybody who's listening to this to please hear me in this moment. When your parents tell you stories like that about their own parents mistreating them like a lot of times they will tell it like as a joke right yeah because it was just normal for them it's supposed to be funny it's like a, a way that they cope with it i need you guys to all look at your parents when they say stuff like that like you know mom dad nani whoever you are that was not okay that was not okay for your mother or father to treat you that way. We've had a couple of moments like that with our own parents. Yeah, when they tell a story that's like supposed to be funny and we're horrified. Yeah. Because our grandparents misbehaved so poorly. Yeah. And we, guys, we have to say to them, that was not okay. Because I don't know if anybody's ever told you that before. Yeah. That it was not okay for you to be treated that way. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, listen, it's not our job to manage our parents' you know, past trauma. But sometimes just saying that one thing can go a long way towards acknowledging past trauma and starting to heal from it. Like, guys, just we have to do what we can to break the cycle of generational trauma. And this is especially prevalent in white families. Yeah, it is. Horrible things are allowed to transpire and no one wants to talk about it because it disrupts the status quo of things. Yeah. And the phrase, whatever happens in this house stays in this house. Oh, God. It happens in all families. It's not just white families, but that is a huge red flag. The next day, Ivy goes to little Charles covertly while everything's quiet in the house. 
And he's like, so are you mad at me for almost outing us to our entire family at dinner? Yeah. And she's like, no, of course I'm not mad. I thought it was brave. But then Maddie Faye comes in and immediately ruins the moment. Oh, Maddie Faye never misses a cue. She comes in and immediately starts criticizing little Charles for just about anything she wants, really. Yeah. And this is where Charles Sr. has fucking had it with his wife in her mouth. We're going to get in the car and go home. And if you say one more mean thing to that boy, I'm gonna kick your fat Irish ass onto the highway. What the hell did you say to me? Kid, go outside, would you please? <laughs> Charlie, yes, put that woman in her place. I don't understand where you and your sister get this meanness from, he says. He's like, just because you and your sister are miserable human beings doesn't mean you have to pass it on to the rest of us, you know? Thank you, Charles. Yeah. Thank you, Charlie. Like, thank you for standing up and saying something. Thank you for staying what we're all thinking. Yeah, I mean, hey, he did marry into this family, right? Yeah. So none of this is normal for him. His family didn't treat each other that way. Nobody was this mean to people they were supposed to love. He and Beverly were also buddies. Yeah. Before he ever married into this family. He's been a lifelong friend of Beverly's. And he's had to deal with this whack-ass family his entire life. We've been married 38 years, and I wouldn't trade him for anything. But if you can't find a generous place in your heart for your own son, we're not going to make it to 39. So Charlie goes to cool off. He goes for a walk on the property, and... He's smoking a joint. He is. You know you know he's going to smoke some marijuana. Oh, my God. He smokes a lot of grass. <laughs> yeah. Barb has heard this whole confrontation. She didn't mean to, but she was basically in the next room. And she follows Maddie Faye out onto the porch. And this is where Maddie Faye straight up asks her if Ivy and little Charles are together. They're in love. They think they are. And I know even today, it's kind of weird for cousins to get together. No, Barb is trying to justify this for Ivy, like on Ivy's behalf. Mm -hmm. And Maddie Faye's like, no, girl, you do not understand. I'd expect this to be toughest on you. Barb. They're in love. They think they are. I know it's unorthodox for cousins to get together, at least these They're days. They're cousins. Beg pardon? Little Charles is not your cousin. He's your brother. He's your blood brother. Half-brother. For me, why Maddie Faye is so tough on little Charles. He's a disappointment to her. He's a he's a reminder of a very big ugly mistake she made. She slept with her sister's husband and produced a child and produced a child and told no one. Beverly knew about it. Charlie doesn't know about it. Yeah, her husband does not know. Beverly's dead. He's the only other one that knew about it. Besides Barbara and Maddie Faye now. The way Maddie Faye just drops this on Barbara's shoulders. She's like, you have to find a way to stop it. Yeah, without telling them the truth. You know, I'm not proud of this. Really? You people amaze me. What, were you drunk? Was this just I wasn't drunk, no. Maybe it's hard for you to believe looking at me, knowing me the way you do all these years. I mean, I know to you I'm just your old fat Aunt Maddie Faye. I'm more than that, sweetheart. There's more to me than that. 
I don't get her statement here. You don't get her, like, self-righteousness? How is she, first of all, going to dump this all on Barbara, make it her responsibility, but then act indignant about it? I don't know, man. She's got to justify it to herself somehow. How else would she sleep? I guess, but I don't know. I mean, hey, that's wasps for you. Oh, God. Now, Ross, we've got to talk about it. Like, we just talked about something, we got to talk about something else. We got to talk about Gene and Steve. Gene and Steve are up at, like, who knows what time in the morning. Oh, dark 30. Half-dressed, smoking weed. Like, out in the front yard. They could be doing so many worse things in the middle of the night. Uh, It's about to get worse. It's about to get worse. He is, again, inquiring about her age, feeling up on her, and she's high, So she's a little baked, and so her motor response isn't the best right now, and he's hugging on her and kissing on her and grabbing on her, and thank God, Jonna can't sleep in the middle of the night from everything she's witnessed. And she goes to the door with a shovel, and she hears Steve ask to see Jean's breasts. Remember the 14-year-old child? Yes, And she picks up that shovel and goes out into the front yard and starts taking swings at Steve. And gets him to. Oh. Gets him in the head. Unhinged Jonna. Unhinged Jonna. Unhinged Jonna. I love it. Oh, my God. God damn it. Stop it. Stop. Stop. And then, of course, everyone else is waking up. We're hearing screaming outside. She wakes the entire house up. Jonna goes, he was kissing and grabbing her. And Barb, I'll murder you, you son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And Karen's like tugging Barbara off of him. Oh, Karen, this is the beginning of my temper with Karen. Then Barbara goes to confront Karen. And they are packing up to leave, her and Steve. You have to talk about this because I'm going to scream. You know, I don't even know how to describe this scene where Karen is leaving. And she basically tells Barbara not to give her some huge lecture, some huge speech. She says something about Jean's probably not blameless (gasps) in the whole interaction. I'm sorry. The child is never to blame. Never. The minor never has blame. It is up to the legal adult to behave appropriately to provide a safe environment for a child to be in. Always. Did we mention that Steve is 10 years older than Karen? Yeah. Who is nearing 50? And has married and divorced four other women. So he's like in his late 50s and he's scamming on the 14-year-old. Yeah. Oh my... I know. Mm. I know. I can feel the hypertension. And then Karen again just starts babbling. I don't even know what she's talking about. It's not cut and dried. It lives where everything lives. Somewhere in the middle. Where the rest of us live. Everyone but you. Karen. And I'm no angel myself. I've done some things I'm not proud of. Things you'll never know about. And I may have to do some things I'm not proud of again. Because life just puts you in a corner that way. I think Karen is willing to look past the fact that her fiancé scammed on her 14-year-old niece because, again, it's her piece of happiness. It's her stupid piece of happiness that she's managed to scrape together despite everything she's been through. She's a child of addicts who's never been stable and is just trying to find happiness where she can, which is why she's willing to live in a moral gray area or the middle, as she describes it. When she gets to the end of her big monologue and Barbara's just rolling her eyes and she's like, and to think, come in January, 
I'll be in Belize. Shut up. Isn't that nice? And her voice cracks and she just starts crying because she knows. She knows deep down that this is all fucked and that this is going to continue to be fucked. But it's the only piece of happiness she has, Ross. I know. It's fucked up. And I'm still mad at her. I'm still mad at her for not being louder. Karen and Steve take off into the night, and Bill also informs Barbara that he will be taking Jean back with him to Colorado in the morning. Jean's staring her mother in the face and rolling up the window, and they just take off. And as they're taking off, Ivy is arriving. And, uh... <laughs> she's dressed so nice. She's, like, in her Sunday best, it looks like. They're leave- She and little Charles are leaving for New York today. And so we've got to tell Mom, right? Christ, Ivy, not today! Oh, Christ, Ivy, not today. <laughs> Jonna has laid out the most scrumptious looking lunch. Oh no, that's what I, that's my next line I have. Can we talk about the catfish Jonna made? Oh my god, it's catfish. It's greens. It's biscuits. It's taters. I'm like, I, 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 <laughs> the way you looked at me while we were watching it, and you were like, did you see the size of those hush puppies? I know. Oh, fried cornbread. Violet is sitting at the table, and she is, of course, high. We did not find all the pills. No, we did not. We, there's no way we were finding all the pills. <laughs> that's what Barbara meant when she's like, she's most sober. I bet the pills are hidden in the foundation. Like. I know. I would tear that some bitch down to the studs if I were them. And Ivy's like, Mom, I have something to tell you. And Barbara is doing her best <laughs> to impede Ivy from telling Violet that she is going to elope with her first cousin. <laughs> or her brother. Yeah, no. Oh, God, God. Okay. Eat it, Mom. Eat it. No. Eat it, you fucker. Eat that catfish. Go to hell. That doesn't cut any fucking ice with me. Eat the fucking fish. Mom, I have something to talk to you about. No, you don't. Barbara? No, you don't. Shut up. Shut the fuck up. Please. What's to talk about? Mom. Forget it. Eat the fucking fish. I'm not hungry. Eat the fish, bitch. Eat the fish, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Barb. Why does Barb have all the best lines? Eat your fish. Eat your fish. Eat your fish. And then what happens, Carrie? Oh, Ivy's so fed up she can't get a word in edgewise. She picks up the plate of catfish in front of her and smashes it on the floor. What the fuck? I have something to say. And then Barbara goes, are we breaking shit now? And she throws her own full plate. And then Violet gets excited and breaks her own plate. <laughs> I can't, I can't. It's theater of the horrible. Little Charles and I. Little Charles and I. Little Charles and you are brother and sister. I know that. Wait, what? No, listen. Little Charles and I. I've always known that. I told you nobody slips anything by me. Mom, don't listen. I knew the whole time Bev and Maddie Faye were carrying on. What the, what an awful way for her to find out. And just like, as as Violet keeps talking about how she always knew. Yeah. And that her and Beverly never discussed it. Just the way, the way Ivy's face just continues to fall and widen. Yeah, she's as white as a sheet. She's putting her hands in her hair, Mom. like squeezing her own head. Mom. She's trying to push the words out of her head. And then uh, Barbara's just sitting there stone face. And then Ivy's getting upset. She knows the truth now. She's about to elope with her half-brother she didn't know she had. Guys. And she just... Do you think they've been intimate already? I don't know, and I don't care. Oh, I... my God. Uh... Violet legitimately does not understand what she's done. Yeah. Ivy's storming out and Barbara goes after her. And she's like, Ivy, 
I didn't know how to tell you. I was trying to protect you. And she's like, we're still going to go away. It'll be fine. And I'm like, Ivy, no. Don't just push this under the rug, sweetheart. Oh, my God. Ivy, he's your brother. Like, you can't do this. Like, I'm like, she's just getting in the car. She's not listening to Barbara at all. She is driving off of the property. You are never going to see me again. I love this line. She's like, we'll go away anyway. We'll still go away. This is not my fault. Mom told you. It wasn't me. It was Mom. There's no difference. And she gets in her car and slams the door and she's driving away uh, with that awful sad piano track and Barbara's chasing after her around the property mm-hmm. saying, Ivy, please don't go. But she does. She Ivy out. Mic drop. Like, like, guys, we don't know what happens to Ivy after that. She's just gone. And Barb begrudgingly goes back in the house. It's just her and Violet now. And Violet's like, she'll be back. Oh, my God. She thinks that little of Ivy's willpower. And I mean, wouldn't she? She's been manipulating her for years. I know. Like, she'll be back. She's weak enough. She'll come back. Barb is already hanging by a thread when it comes to this damn family. Because she has nobody but her now. Yeah. Everybody's left. Like, it, it's, it's Jonna, Barb, and Violet in the house. Jonna's hiding upstairs in her attic room. God love her. Like, just when you, and just when you think you can't learn another horrific piece of information. Here it is. The fucking incident, right? Okay. Uh, oh, okay, guys, do you remember the safety deposit box? Yeah. Oh, boy. You knew about Daddy and Maddie Faye. Oh, sure. Sure. But I never told them I knew. But if I had a chance there at the end, I would have... I would have told him. I hope this isn't about little Charles, because you know, I know all about that. You know, if I'd reached him over to the motel, I would have said, you'd be better off if you quit sulking about this ancient history. She said that when she and Beverly were talking on the phone... When he went over to the motel, that she hoped that this wasn't about little Charles. That wasn't why he left. Like when he went missing. She's like, because I hope you know that I know all about that and I don't mind. Because as far as we know as an audience, Beverly took off after breakfast that day and... And Violet never heard from him again. uh, Yeah, now we're getting a different story. And Barb's like, how'd you know where he was? Well, no. He said I could call him over to Country Squire Motel. He left a note. Did the note say he was going to kill himself? Mom? If I had my wits about me, maybe I I might have done it different, but I was... Your father and I both, we were... You were both fucked up. And the way Violet doesn't answer immediately... I mean, that's an answer in itself, isn't it? Violet said if she hadn't been so high, maybe she would have handled it better. Violet knew where Bev was, that he was planning to take his own life, and the first thing she did was go to that safe deposit box. Not call the cops, not call EMS, she went straight for that money. Because when Bev dies, she needs a way to keep up her habits, right? Yeah. 
Oh my god! It's also why she was like, girls, I'm taking all the money. Yeah! Despite the fact there was some allotted for you by your father. I need that to fund my addiction. She doesn't say it, but that's definitely why she's keeping the money from them. And then she does the worst thing. (sighs) Violet has the audacity to tell Barb she's the reason her father drowned himself. There's at least one reason why Beverly killed himself, and that is you. You think there's any way in hell that he would have done what he did if you were still here? No. Oh, yes, you stick that knife of judgment in me. Go ahead. But make no mistake, his blood is just as much on your hands as it is on mine. We'll never know why Beverly did what he did exactly, but I know for sure it wasn't about Barbara and her life choices. It just wasn't. You know what I mean? Which is it, Violet? Was she his favorite or was she his biggest disappointment? Like, what's the story now? My God, what a miserable bitch. Oh, my Lord. What a miserable fucking Pardon my language. But... I, I know. I mean, I don't really know what's going on in Barbara's head exactly. Just gives Violet a side hug. She's got nothing on but her house coat and her PJs and her slippers. Walks over to that table, picks up her keys, you hear them jingle, and she's out. Yeah, she gets in the pickup and she leaves. And I'm like, oh no, Barb, do not leave Jonna there with that crazy white woman. (laughs) Not Jonna. And just, I hate listening to Violet call after her. Oh my God. None of her children are there anymore. Barbara. She has successfully alienated her entire family. Barbara! Oh, Barbara! Barbara! Barbara, please! She's wandering around the house. She doesn't know what to do. So So she puts on Eric Clapton. That fucking song again! So high, she's already forgotten that everyone is gone and Beverly is dead. She starts yelling around the house for someone to come to her and there's no one there. She's yelling for Bev. She finally just goes up to where Jonna lives in the attic and just Jonna like meets her on the stairs and just like holds her. Oh, God. While she starts moaning. I feel so bad for Jonna. That is not Jonna's job. Jonna is not a therapist. She's not a social worker. It's now going to fall to Jonna to decide what to do with her. And we don't talk about that enough. Because it's over. Yeah, it's over. Guys, we close out on Barb, standing on the side of the road, sobbing. What do you think is happening for her here in this moment? Because she doesn't stay there. She gets back in the truck. And she, starts, and she starts driving. I think when she's like sobbing on the side of the road, it's kind of like that weird sequence where um, Violet was running into the middle of the field and like she was like, where are you trying to go? There's nowhere to go. You can't escape, you know? Yeah. And I think this might be like her realizing that she can escape. Yeah. Because like she just drives into the distance and the Kings of Leon song starts playing. <laughs> Last Mile Home. When that came up on the subtitles, Kings of Leon, Last Mile Home, I went, Kings of Leon? I'm dreaming on the last mile home. Dreaming on the last mile home. Things are always better when we're all together. 
what I always end up thinking as the credits roll is that like I think one of the reasons I love this project so much is not only were we breaking down and really looking at a dehumanized family, the people whose relationships are based on nastiness and trauma and, you know, things that are probably never going to be fixed. And when you have a family like this, you either have to be around these people your whole life or you can let go. Yeah. You can decide to escape. If you have someone in your life that is nothing but a blight, who you've tried to help but isn't going to help themselves and will just continue to treat you like the dirt beneath their shoe, you have the power to say no more. Ties of blood only amount to what you make them. And if you are spending your entire life trying to make something out of a tie of blood that the other person just isn't fulfilling... You can say no. Yeah. You can let go and you might feel guilty and bad about it and sad about it because you might really love this person. I mean, here we're talking about a mother and her children. They all decided they'd had enough for one reason or another and severed ties with her. That's the person that brought you into the world, carried you for nine months. That's very, very hard to deal with. Yeah. And... I'm glad that Barb just left. Just said, I'm not doing this anymore. So you think that she got in the truck and just took off without any of her shit? Yeah. Just went to start a new life without her toxic mother in it? I think she said bye. I think she went to regroup. Oh, man. Because, fuck her. Yeah. Fuck Violet. They cannot have that in their lives anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. And this tie of blood is not going to chain me to you for the rest of my life. Yeah. That's a very powerful, complex, hard decision to have to make. Like, of course, every family has problems, but it's important to enforce boundaries. Exactly. If we're not going to fix and deal with the generational trauma in the way it needs to be dealt with, I'm going to move on. It's a liberation story to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, probably not on a grand scale, but like, it's a personal liberation story for me. And yeah, not everything, hardly anything is resolved in the end of this narrative. No, nothing. It's deeply unsatisfying. It's deeply unsatisfying, but at the same time, I've just so, I can remember feeling in the theater when I watched how relieved I was when she left. Like the catharsis of it? Yeah. And... If you, dear listener, are living in an extremely dehumanized family where there is just nothing but bad feeling and resentment and nastiness, cut them off. Yeah, maybe don't go to the Memorial Day barbecue this year, guys. I know it's sad and it's going to take a long time to get over the strong feelings of attachment and love you might have to, to a manipulator in your life, but you just have to do your best to try and let them go. Because they're not conducive to your progression as a human being. You gotta prune the shit away from your life so that you can try and be healthy and happy. Cool. I'm going right down to the hardware store and I'm getting myself a comedically huge pair of scissors. <laughs> Let, like the kind they use to cut the tape at a bridge or something? Mm-hmm. Or the opening of a supermarket? Let's do this! We did August Osage County. Oh, 
Oh man, I feel like I just ran a marathon. My blood pressure is so high right now. Yeah. God, I can't wait to get out of this overheated basement. It's okay. It'll be okay. Oh no, it's gonna be big, okay? Because our next selection is fabulous. Yes, guys, thank you for dealing with Family Matters with us this month. We hope you've enjoyed us in our rage and or confusion, but we just wanted to break down some families there for you. And guys, I hate to do it to you again, but it's Memorial Day next week, so we're gonna be off again. I mean, we'll be off, the show will be off, but Ross and I will be hard at work. Yes, we will. Because we've got a lot of long form content coming to you for the summer, Mm -hmm. and we're trying to get a jump on that. But the first week of June, I am so excited to talk about this. Happy Pride, everybody, by the way. (laughs) Yes! We're looking forward to that. Guys, we will be talking about the 2000 animated adventure comedy film, The Road to El Dorado! And guys, we know what you're thinking. (laughs) It's Pride Month. Are we going to talk about gay movies? Guys, it is a gay movie. (laughs) Miguel and Tulio are together and you can't convince us otherwise. (laughs) Yeah, guys, I'm going to have a whole bunch of shit to say about the queer subtext in that movie. But a lot of it's just going to be fun and adventure, right? Queer subtext. Queer Queer subtext. Queer subtext. subtext. We're doing a lot of group (laughs) chanting, you and I. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So look out for that next week, guys. In the meantime, you can go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our little watch party. Don't forget to go check us out on Patreon. Become a little onion at the five. You'll be so glad you did. Give us your money. We really do appreciate it, guys. Thank you. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, Mom. Mom.